Welcome back to Cargumentative, your favorite Times Live podcast on which we chat about all things cars and automotive. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner from the Sunday Times, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Sean Corston and uh, Brenwin Naidu, who are both with me in the virtual studio. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Brenwin. Hey, Thomas and Sean. Uh, good to be in the virtual studio. Uh, I'm coming to you live from my very cold apartment in Rudaport. But I'm happy to talk cars with you guys, as always. Brilliant. Well, yeah. it's great to have you. And uh, Sean, we haven't had you on the show for a while. No, it's been a while. I've actually been neglecting you guys. I really have. Yeah. I slap on the wrist. I deserve punishment. I, you know, I'm sorry, guys. But it's good to be back. It's really good. Made it out of my shoot quickly. But yeah, nice to be in the virtual studios. It is indeed. What were you shooting or uh, can't you say? I can. Oh, guys, this is this is really, really quite cool stuff. So we got a once, literally, quite literally, like a once in a lifetime opportunity to drive the BMW 530 MLE. Sure, that's so, awesome. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. That's the, that's something I like. Yeah, Tom, this is your alley. This is this yeah. is you. I should have invited you on the shoot, Tom. Yeah, you should have. Good for us. I would have been there. I would have been there. I would have. I would have enjoyed every single second. That was quite something, guys. That was really quite something because you know that they BMW this whole time been restoring the car and for all now. Now it's literally in the metal. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. It's fantastic. That's incredible. And that's and that's um, that's part of BMW South Africa's heritage uh, wing where they where they sort of rebuild these past greats. So I mean they've got. They've, they've got the 530, which you drove, but there's also, um, what other models have they got in uh, in their portfolio? They have a 325 IS. Uh, unfortunately, that one got totaled, um, but I think they still have a 333i in their fleet. Brennan would probably be able to confirm that. Yeah, that's no, that's fun. They have a 333i and uh, an M1 as well. Yeah, which I've actually driven. I drove both those cars. I think, Bren, when we were on that same rotation many years ago, when we didn't have to wear face masks and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, very cool, very jealous. Um, moving on from Sean, I'm going to cut to Brenwin. What's been happening? Yeah, well, um, quite a few things uh, in the news, but I've, I've selected uh, just two very quick ones. Um, First of all, Kia's attractive fastback, the Stinger, has been refreshed. You get uh, redesigned lights, front and rear, beefy diffusers, restyled alloys, and um, an interior that promises more in the way of luxury, including a mood lighting system with 64 colors. But, uh, of course, it's it's a pity that the brand has no immediate plans to, uh, to introduce the new Stinger locally. And then next up for me, if you want to smell like a million bucks, Bentley has quite a cool suggestion. Um, they've added a new fragrance to uh, their range of cosmetics for men. It's called Silver Lake, and it's probably not named after the uh, the little resort uh, of cabins in George. The perfume claims to have a scent that captures the energizing air of the world outdoors, and I could totally smell that on you, Thomas. Oh, yeah, you absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm all about the big outdoors and, uh, you know, adventuring. So maybe I should sample that, you know, and maybe they'll make one. They'll have a, a Bentley copper leaf in months to come, you know, 
seeing that they they that naming them after South African housing estates. What else has been happening, guys? Uh, I don't know if you saw there was a there was a Formula One article uh, on the Formula One site where where they they collaborated with with Amazon Web Services to to come up with this this list of the fastest drivers, the fastest ever Formula One drivers over a single lap using some kind of crazy algorithm that uh, the geniuses at, at uh, Amazon uh, dreamt up. And it was, it was quite interesting, and it was quite um, – it stood up a lot of debate online. And I don't know, yeah, if you guys saw it, but, but, but the fastest driver over a single lap of all time was uh, – well, yeah – is is Ayrton Senna, followed by Schumacher, then Hamilton, then Max Verstappen, and uh, in fifth place Fernando Alonso. And one of my favorites, Alain Prost, only came twentieth, which is uh, which is interesting. And then you've got some strange people like Heikki Kovalainen, who I can't even recall uh, coming in at like number eight. So quite a interesting thing. If you guys haven't seen it, it's it's up on the Formula One. Formula One website. So yeah, you know, just a, another example of technology and software um, making listicles to get people all all excited and fired up. On that note, I was literally about to mention how amazing is watching F1 with all the. I think Amazon Web Services does like do all the graphics on F1. Um, how amazing are all the new graphics on F1? How much more enjoyable is it to watch with all the graphics that you got, all the data and information and everything? It's amazing what watching F1 these days. It is totally. I mean, it's um, uh, you know, I mean, if you have tuned in, you'll see that um, they overlay that 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 graphic and that information over the halo. So if you're looking um, from the driver's perspective, you've got that halo bar. And uh, on top of that, they project all kinds of things like, like speed, G-forces, all that kind of stuff. And then they've also got that thing that I've seen in qualifying. Uh, you might know more about it, but it's, it kind of ranks drivers uh, by speed through slow corners, fast corners, straights. Yeah, that's amazing. And then now they're even able to give you the tires, what's the wear on the tires. I think that's quite new. It was something new this season, if I'm not mistaken. They never had it before. But it is, yeah, it is. It is. It makes, it makes it entertaining to watch you because of all of that. It does. And uh, Lord knows we need entertainment in Formula One because, I don't know, last week's race was just uh, one of the most boring ones and you know that we've had in a, a very long time. But uh, let's see. That's the problem. It is. That Mercedes is just way too fast. Nothing can come close except the Red Bull. And, uh, yeah, things need to change, which they will in the next uh, couple of seasons. So hopefully that spices things up. Um, guys, that's all the time we have uh, for news. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to be chatting to a special guest. Join me, Nicole Engelbrecht, your host on True Crime South Africa, a weekly podcast that covers both solved and unsolved South African true crime cases.
Welcome back to Cargumentative. We're back on the road, and we've got a special guest in studio today uh, who's been on the show before, uh, Mr. Adrian Burford from Roadworks Communications. Adrian, how are you doing? I'm well, Tom. How are you keeping? Yeah, keeping pretty good, you know. Uh, it's level two lockdown, which means I can yeah. venture out onto the mean streets and get my, my alcohol fix, you know, as, yeah. uh, as journos, we... Uh, like the source. So we must have yeah. it, yes. We, and yeah, exactly. We must. Also been jogging up a storm. You'll be pleased to know. Proud been putting of you. on my poly okay. shorts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is quite a sight to behold, but uh, you know mm. I mm. won't get into details. Now Adrian, yeah. You're a PR man and you handle quite a few accounts. And uh, one of the accounts that you handle is a is a South African company called Blackstone Tech. Now, Blackstone Tech makes really trick and bespoke carbon fiber wheels for motorcycles and uh, motor vehicles. And I was hoping you could shed some light on this company, how it came to be, and what they specialize in. Yeah, I don't know if your use of bespoke was a deliberate pun, but knowing you, it probably was. In fact, I've just started with Blackstone Tech, and and it's really exciting. The marketing guy there is Brad Anassis, who's well-known in motorsports circles, motorcycle uh, in particular, drag racing, circuit racing. And, yeah, it's quite quite an amazing story. They've actually been around for for 18 years, and um, they're two two main people – Terry, who she's she's kind of the business brains and she's got a background, wow, IT, marketing, sales, uh, you, you name it. And then Gary, Gary Turner, who um, is really the creative force and the, and the technical force. And they started out 18 years ago with this vision, this dream to make a, a full carbon fiber wheel, started out in, in motorcycles. And his philosophy is very simple and it's, you know, really zero compromise. And he's one of those guys who will go to any length to make the absolute perfect item, whether you're talking about a wheel or a watch or, or anything else. And it really is fascinating. You know, they've now produced about 40,000 wheels, mainly for motorcycles. But, you know, you can name a, a famous motorcycle brand and they'll supply wheels for it. Then also wheels for some seriously limited production cars. Vuel being one of them, uh, I think it's Donker Hook being the other one, one of the others. And yeah, they're going from strength to strength. And they, the big news now is that they're going to expand uh, much more into the supercar market and also the track market. And that's track in the American context. So think Ford F-150 and, uh, and Ram and those kind of brands. And, uh, yeah, you're going to be able to buy carbon fiber wheels for those soon from, from BST, made right here in South Africa. Well, that's very cool. It's a, a proudly South African story that we can all, uh, you know, be proud yeah. of. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. And I wanted to know, why carbon fiber? I mean, what are the advantages of making a wheel out of carbon fiber as opposed to aluminum or magnesium? Well, it's, it's really about weight. And as I think Colin Chapman said, add lightness. And if you can make a wheel, the wheel is really the most critical weight item on any vehicle, car, bike, anything with wheels. And you reduce the unsprung weight, which has uh, benefits for, for handling. The reduced weight has benefits for accelerating that mass and decelerating it. So you get 
better responsiveness from whatever power plant you've got. And of course, it'll, it'll stop a little bit quicker. It'll change direction better. In fact, there's even a noise benefit. So we reckon that less road noise is translated through a carbon fiber wheel. So, so really, it, it ticks all the boxes um, when it comes to improved performance. And it is really the quickest way to get there. And some of the, some of the numbers in terms of the wheel mass, um, a 19-inch alloy aluminum car wheel, typically around 10 and a half, 11 kilos, we can do a 19-inch car wheel down at about 7 kilos. And when you start talking about 20-inch, the kind of 20-inch wheels we're looking at for, for the light trucks, you're talking about going from about 20 kilos a corner to about half that. Incredible, huh? So, I mean, there is a tangible saving using carbon fiber. I've got one more question before I hand over to my colleagues because I'm sure they've also got questions and I don't want to hog, hog the limelight here. Are they very labor-intensive to make? I mean, one imagines, you know, when you think of carbon fiber, you think of aerospace, you think of Formula One, you think of yes. fancy machines. So, I mean, what, what goes into making a carbon fiber wheel? They are very labor-intensive to make. These wheels are made, they're made in a, in a mold, essentially. And the typical wheel can have anywhere between... 200 and 250 individual pieces of what they call pre-preg carbon fiber. So that's actually, it's like a sheet of carbon fiber. It's already got the resin in it and um, it gets pre-cut according to a pattern. So each piece is pre-cut and then each piece is laid into the mold in a very precise sequence and, and fashion. And then once that's done, it's a case of going into the oven, the autoclave, where it basically gets baked. And, you know, that, that epoxy, um, which is pre-pregnated, then solidifies. And that's really, in a very basic terms, how you get to your wheel. Okay. Well, fascinating stuff. I mean, I'd love to actually come through one day and see how uh, it's all done. But uh, in the meantime... I'd like to just pass you over to uh, my colleague, Brenwin Naidu. I know he's chomping at, at the bit to get his question in. So, uh, yeah, over to you, Brenwin. Yeah, hey, uh, Mr. Burford, uh, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Brenwin. I've, I've of course, you know, uh, read, read a bit about BST and uh, it, looks, it all looks really fantastic. And also great to know that, you know, it's, it's manufactured right here proudly in, in Randburg. Yes. So I wanted to know two things. Two things. Uh, firstly, I mean, what are the costs involved in buying a set of wheels, if it's that easy, from BST? And secondly, I mean, just the strength and sturdiness of these wheels. I'm sure they're quite tough, but you know, is it possible to curb uh, a carbon fiber wheel, for example? Strange question, I know, but you know, it is an incident that, that can yes. happen in the real world. Potholes, that kind of thing. So, so just those two questions from me, please. Okay. Well, your first question was about the, the cost. So a pair of motorcycle wheels could be anywhere around, um, are you sitting down, uh, $4,000. So you can do the sums. They, they're not cheap. They are ultra premium. Um, and you can also, quite frankly, spend similar money on um, aluminium or magnesium wheels. It looks like the, um, the car wheels per set, so talking about four 
um, you know, you don't want to spend that kind of money and, and buy five and have a carbon fiber spare, really. I mean, unless money is truly no object. But you, you, could, you could be looking at a figure of, uh, of 200,000 rand for a set of wheels. But I think if you look at the performance benefits, well, you know, it's, uh, it's probably money well spent if you're uh, buying a 5 million rand Ferrari or Lamborghini and, and then, you know, you want to, you know, just take the performance, the overall performance envelope a little bit, uh, a little bit further. This is actually just about the most cost-effective way of doing it, we think. Regarding strength, yes, you can curb a wheel. No wheel is indestructible. Um, the characteristics of carbon fiber are, are quite different from, from steel. You know, they say that carbon fiber is, is brittle and that it shatters and that it, uh, it suffers from fatigue over time. Well, we, we've got motorcycle wheels out there that have done, in the States, 100, 160,000 kilometers. So, you know, some of the wheels that we produced nearly 18 years ago are still out there and still giving really good service. So the story of fatigue, you know, people who are anti-carbon fiber or, or composites generally will talk about fatigue and things like that. But really, we think it's a non-issue. And quite frankly, if, you, if you're not into composites, um, composite anything, you may as well not get out of, um, of bed in the morning. We have some very robust testing programs, including CAT scanning every single wheel we make, make sure there are no voids, you know, our wheels pass the, the highest test standards, including the Japanese JWL, which is considered the most stringent. Uh, and we undergo all kinds of impact load testing, cornering loads, bending loads, and so on. We believe that it's as strong as anything out there, but obviously not indestructible. Great. Well, I think when the wheel of fortune lands on my number, I'll definitely be investing in a set. Yeah. Well, we'll be rolling it out, you know, like I said, we're starting with the supercar wheel. And when we, we include, you know, BMW M models and AMG cars in that kind of thing. So it's certainly not going to be, you know, ultra, you know, high level. We want a lot of people to be on our wheels. We enjoy the advantages and, you know, we could eventually uh, end up down at Golf GTIs and the like. And the construction is actually quite modular. So adding sizes... Um, is relatively easy. So, yeah, we, we, we will hopefully expand uh, dramatically over time. Excellent. Um, Adrian, um, I'd just like to hand you over to Sean Corston. He's yes. uh, sitting in a car somewhere uh, in Joburg in, in, in <laughs> on a shoot for Ignition TV, and I'm sure he's got one question. So, uh, Sean, over to you. Adrian, hi. How are you? Hi, Sean. I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Yeah, I'm not in the car, thankfully. I'm actually in the office. Um, Adrian, quick thing. I have a pretty much back-to-basics question for you, probably for the listeners out there and for anyone who doesn't really know. But we know the advantages of carbon fiber. We've obviously detailed it quite now, and we've heard it all about. But what actually is carbon fiber? What is the comp- We know it's a composite material, but of what? Of How is it made up? What, what gives it its strength and durability and lightweight nature to it? Okay. Well... It's really a, a carbon fiber reinforced polymer. So, you know, it's, a, it's an extremely strong, rigid and light composite material. It's the kind of thing which uh, spacecraft and Formula One people and, and so on, you know, take for granted nowadays. But it's made up a whole, of a whole load of carbon fiber strands and they are absolutely minute in diameter in anywhere from 0.004 of a millimeter 
and it consists, to not get too technical, carbon molecules um, that are aligned in a certain way. That's what gives it the strength. And then these, you know, these fibers are twisted into a yarn and it almost becomes a weave of cloth. And it's really adding an, an epoxy or a resin to that, um, which gives added strength. And that weaving process is really the signature carbon fiber cloth. So, you, you mean, you can see the individual strands. And um, there are basically two types. There's, like I said, the pre-impregnated that we use. And then you can actually make something from, from the dry cloth and actually inject the resin uh, into it. So, so those are the two basic ways you get to your carbon fiber. And then, of course, in both cases, they need to go into an autoclave, which is a, a fancy oven, which then heats it up and everything kind of molds together. And then it gets cooled down um, in, a, in a controlled manner. And after a period of time, they, they, they have their sort of traditional, their traditional hardness. So, yeah, so the one thing I should say is that the autoclave is a, is a pressure oven. You know, you can have up to six bars and temperatures of 130 degrees and then what comes out of it is a, is a fully cured carbon fiber product, whether it's a wheel or a swing arm for a motorcycle. Yeah, like I say, you know, if, you, if you're not going to believe in composites, is, um, you, you are restricting the range of product that you can choose from in, in a variety of areas. Interesting. So it's basically it gives, it gives some insight as to why it costs as much because of the process and what it actually is, is pretty much paying for all of that. Yes, you know our our prepreg cloth is uh, is imported from Germany. It needs to be stored uh, in a very specific way. In fact, we we store it in a fridge about minus twenty degrees Celsius. That prevents uh, you know the curing process from 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 happening um, in an uncontrolled way. Um, and uh, and when we we're ready to make a specific wheel, we bring those huge rolls uh, out of the freezer. We lay them out on a, on, a, on a huge bed and then all the, the cutting takes place, like I say, up to 200 individual pieces. Those individual pieces are each are, are bagged and, and go off to an actual wheel builder who then starts to lay those into the, into the machine tool um, in, a, in a particular way to start building the wheel. Interesting stuff, Adrian. Um, time is of the essence here. I mean, I think we could all go on for a lot longer. But just to summarize this segment of the show, Blackstone Tech has got a, a partnership with Keanu Reeves and his motorbike company, Arc, in the States. Is this still happening? Yeah, that, that is still going on. And um, we've really targeted those specialist builders. The same applies to cars. So Ariel is also is another one of the car brands that we've supplied. But um, yeah, we sort of quite particular about who we team up with, and, and that's obviously one one of them that we're particularly proud of. Um, I think he's also quite a, a no compromise kind of guy. Yeah, you'll you'll hopefully continue to see our wheels on on his motorbikes. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, you know telling us a little bit more about this 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 company and this incredible product as i say it would be quite cool to actually come in one day and and uh, see how they are made and um you know definitely definitely well we we will arrange a factory tour i know factory tours and motoring journalists are not always compatible it doesn't always smack of tremendous fun but this is 
this is definitely uh, something worth seeing and talking to Gary about the actual process um, and, and how it all kind of happened and, and what, what goes into it really is it. So it's really an eye-opener. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adrian, thanks. Uh, we're going to have a quick break and uh, we'll be back again to chat to Mr. Adrian Burford about oil. Would I buy a hover? <laughs> but you see, like, you can't beat the diesel. Though. I'll take the petrol over the diesel any day. <laughs> Tune in to Cargumentative every Monday morning on Times Live Motoring. You can join myself, Thomas Faulkner, and my regular gang of automotive misfits as we discuss motoring news, views, and of course, have a cargument or two. That's Cargumentative only on Times Live Motoring. Welcome back to Cargumentative. We've still got Adrian Burford in the studio, in the virtual studio, I might add. And um, in the previous segment, we chatted about Blackstone Tech. And in this segment, we're going to chat to Adrian about uh, oil, because he also dabbles uh, in the world of lube, automotive lube, uh, with Liquimoli. So, yeah, Adrian, you know, we just want to let our listeners know a little bit more about the, the dark art of motor oil. And uh, perhaps you can tell us, you know, first and foremost, what does it do and why is it so um, important? Well, uh, I'm talking to you from the boardroom at Rob Green Motorsport, which happens to be directly above the dyno. And it's quiet at the moment, probably because of the time of day. Um, but I was hoping that I could just hang my phone out the window and you would hear the sound of, a, of a, an engine being tortured on the rollers. And that would probably give you a pretty good idea why why oil is so important and and oil is really about keeping a, a film between you know rotating and moving metal parts inside an engine and um, yeah without oil you wouldn't really last very long at all maybe maybe some minutes if you were lucky so yeah everything anything that moves and interacts with another metal part definitely needs to have a, a film of of lubricant um separating those two metal surfaces at, at all times. Okay. And, um, I mean, it's, it's 2020 now, and we've got a whole host of oil brands and varieties out on the market. Um, and there's obviously synthetic, there's semi-synthetic, and there's mineral oil. Can you explain the difference between these three types of oil? Yeah, so so the the thing about fully synthetic, fully synthetic oil is really um, it, it still does have a, a base of um, crude oil behind it. So it's not uh, it's not entirely made in a laboratory, but it's your um, it's your organic oil if you like, and then it's mixed with um, all kinds of fancy chemicals um, and uh, and additives which uh, which enhance its ability. And what they often do is they obviously inc increase the lubricity. They, they make the oil work better in, in wider temperature ranges. And they also get to critical parts of the engine uh, much more quickly. So 
it's it's really about you know synthetics are really about oils that are suitable for modern engines and and operating conditions and so on and and older engines in some ways are, are often don't necessarily or automatically benefit from super high tech um, synthetic oils so you know semi synthetics are are kind of as the name would suggest somewhere in between but you know whether you're talking a, a mineral oil or a semi synthetic or a fully synthetic the base is really still um, a, a crude oil something that did uh, okay. did did come out of the ground and um, i mean you mentioned older engines and newer engines i mean what how far back do you need to go before a fully synthetic oil doesn't make sense that is a a good question thomas and I, i'm not sure if i can give you an exact answer but but i think if you look at how the cars cars have evolved and also operating conditions have evolved and how in many ways temperatures or, or operating conditions have become more onerous in many ways and i and i think stop start driving um very low uh, average speeds things like that have really made um engines and engine oils work harder and and as sort of clearances in engines have have been reduced the requirements have also changed and and you actually need a thinner oil which can uh, find its way into those tiny gaps and the other real challenge uh, for any lubricant whether it's uh, an old car or new car is how quickly that oil can get um you know fully circulated into every nook and cranny of, of the engine and and if you if you look at some of the some of the um, research that liquimoly has done in particular it can take it can take up to 50 seconds for your oil to reach uh, certain areas on startup and and startup is always one of the most aggressive where uh periods of, of an engine so kind of working working around those challenges and and stop start and stop start systems uh on car engines where where a car might actually turn itself off for as much as a minute i think or however long you happen to be waiting at a traffic light that you know that's uh, that's that's another challenge that has to be taken into account because that every time you start it up that's when you get maximum wear and if you if you look at oil samples from just about any engine you can almost read the oil sample and it's metal the metal content in that oil you can almost uh, a skilled engineer is almost able to make a an assessment of how and where the vehicle was used okay well uh, i'm going to pass it over to to Sean because i'm sure he has a couple of questions that he wants to fire your way Yeah, it's kind of another back to basics question. That's all our yeah, really back to basics question. Um the oil obviously lubricates all the metals and all of that, but like explain to us what what does the oil actually do within the system of a car? Like how what functions does it perform and how does each one how do you know which oil is right for your car? Well, at the, at uh, I don't want to pass the back, but I think always the the best thing that a person can do is really not get overwhelmed by talk around the bry and and what brands and what viscosity to use but obviously refer refer to the the owner's manual or an owner's website or manufacturer's website rather and and follow that as a lead and um you know if if the engine is in standard condition that that really is you know more or less everything you would need to know about what oil to use you know having said that if you if you want to go for something which is 
uh, a little bit more performance orientated, you need to look at um, start looking at those semi-synthetics and, and synthetic oils. And it's really a, a price-driven thing. You know, remember that those oils that a manufacturer puts into a car, they're designed to last the, the service interval period. And if you're going to, if your usage pattern um, is changing or you're looking at doing track days, maybe you need to look at something which is um, uh, a little bit more high-tech, you know, an oil that has friction modifiers added. For normal use, you need things like antioxidants, especially if you're sitting in traffic, anti-wear agents and, and dispersants. And of course, talking about the basics and you know just what oil you should put in your car, don't ever forget an oil is only as good as the filtration. So you need to make sure that you know, you're changing your, your, your oil filter at the same time as you're changing your oil. And there are guys out there who think you can change the oil but leave the filter unchanged for a period um, that's certainly not true and, and everyone I know who's got a car that's done exceptionally high mileages and been um, been reliable um, they they are people who are absolutely anal about uh, oil change intervals and yeah if it's if it says 15,000 you're probably better off you know changing at 12 you know especially if you're driving in traffic a lot of the time Interesting, interesting. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. Adrian, thanks for that. We're going we're gonna to shoot over to Brenwin because I know that he's also got uh, a couple of questions. All right, Adrian. Uh, I've, I've got a question. Um, yeah, so the idea of lifetime transmission oil, uh, yes. truth or fallacy, should motorists uh, change their, their gearbox oil at the same intervals they would do uh, the, the engine oil? Um, Brenwin, de- definitely not at the at the same the same intervals. I don't I don't think it's that's ever really been the case. Other than, of course, if you drive a mini, um, the original mini, and as you may know, the original mini, uh, the gearbox and the engine share the same oil. So uh, yeah, there where you, ch- you change the engine oil, you change the gearbox oil by default. I don't think it is necessary, and I don't think many manufacturers recommend it. Um, but I think with a lot of the very modern uh, high-tech DSG-type gearboxes, it is something that needs to be uh, – a lot of attention needs to be paid to it. And, and, and brands like um, Liqui Moly, they, they actually encourage workshops to um, buy machinery from them, which is like a fully automated transmission change system. So it literally – draws out every last drop of the old oil and then replaces it um, in a sort of fully automated process, um, replaces it uh, with with new. And, and I know you're probably thinking about some of the stories that have been doing the rounds recently about guys with um, GTIs and, and the like who, who have had gearbox problems at, um, at high mileage. But, I, you know, I think a DSG gearbox is probably – one of the the most abused components on a on a modern car and especially performance cars and um, yeah I think um, I suppose once again err on the side of of caution uh, you know if you if you're not sure rather rather change it but certainly I don't think it needs the same frequency um, as engine oil one of the the recommendations I make um, is that if you buy a used car. Well, do yourself a favor, purge the entire car of all its lubricants, um, including brake fluid and so on, 
and um, and and replace them with uh, the best products that you can you can afford and uh, and start from there. Almost start with a with a clean sheet, knowing everything's new and everything is really good. You know, this is especially uh, I think useful if you don't know the the service history of the of the vehicle in question. I think that's fantastic advice, uh, Adrian, and I definitely agree with you 100%. Last yeah. one now, without putting you on the spot, um, for oil dummies, can you just yes. demystify what some of the what, what the basic code template on, on an oil can? Uh, I know it's a lot of W sometimes and <laughs> different numbers. Just you know, just give us a quick a quick intro to that. This is, this is where I should quickly surf over to the Liqui Molly website or, or their phone app. They've actually got a great... A great phone app. I think it's called Liquimoly Advantage, and it gives you a lot of that kind of stuff. So, not being a an absolute um, expert on it, um, that that might be the best way. But but the, the, the those numbers are generally well. They are reference to viscosity, and viscosity is a fluid's resistance to flow. That W that you see on an oil can is really a reference to to winter, and and it, it's kind of saying the oil's resistance to 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 thinning um, is is the first number, um, and and the the second number is how an oil maintains its uh, film of of lubrication. So so you want you want an oil, um, especially in a winter climate, uh, where where even when it's ice cold, it still can move pretty easily, um, but when it reaches its operating temperature. Um, it, it doesn't change its uh, thickness dramatically. So a 5W oil is typically something which would be recommended um, for, for winter use. So the second number is um, normally like a 30 or a 40, and that tells you that the oil will, will, will still stay reasonably thick at a high temperature um, and, and still be able to do its, its job without breaking down. And becoming almost, uh, almost, you know, like like watery, because um, you still want you you still want that that thickness of the oil to maintain that film between the the metal surfaces. What the last thing you want to happen is an actual loss of uh, a mo- even a momentary loss of uh, that film between the the two components. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Yeah, well, Adrian, thanks for that. I mean, it's it's, it's been quite uh, illuminating, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be, you know a little bit more clued up on, on oil and how it works and, uh, you know, the various grades. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. Paige is waving her arms at me. So, yeah, uh, I'd just like to thank you again for coming in and joining us. Okay, cool, cool. And if I can do one last little plug for Liquimoly, the, the app really is great. You can go in there, you type in your vehicle, you know, the year, the model and so on, and it really spits out everything you need to know about what you should be using. Very cool. Can you download that off the App Store or the, you, the, the Google you Play can. Store? Okay. You can. It's, it's called Liquimoly Advantage, and it is, a, it is a local app from the local, uh, the local division. All right. Cool. Well, I mean, if you're looking at getting some new oil for your car, then maybe that's worth a, a look. Yeah. Adrian, thanks again for joining us. And uh, Sean and Brenwin, thanks for joining me again in the, the virtual studio. And... Um, Join us again next week for another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, keep it safe out on the roads, guys.